0: ever wish that you could have a therapist as a friend? Well, now's your chance. I'm Marianne Griffith, and I'm the host of the Renewal Session podcast, where each week we have real conversations about the messy and the meaningful things of life with me and some of my friends. I'm a therapist who's passionate about helping people break free of strongholds and create a better life. Pull up a seat and let's dive in to a real conversation. guys, welcome back. So today I'm going to talk about 10 ways to combat your cognitive distortions. And last episode, I talked with Katie about the 10 forms of cognitive distortions. And if you have not listened to that episode, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that because those are an incredibly important list to give you a little bit of language that goes around our negative thoughts thought patterns or the ways in which we distort things that are coming into our world, whether it be conversations or even people, the way they might, um, their body language or their um, nonverbal cueing, we can really distort the meaning of those things. And so I'm going to go one by one and unpack ways to combat this. So the 10 cognitive distortions that I talked about in the last episode were all or nothing thinking, overgeneralization, mental filter, discounting the positives, jumping to conclusions, magnification or minimization, emotional reasoning, should statements, labeling, and personalization and blame. And that list was taken from a book called The Feeling Good Handbook by Dr. David Burns. And this book is a great book that gives you some step-by-step exercises to overcoming depression, conquering anxiety, and enjoying greater intimacy. It's a pretty big, thick book, but there's a lot of helpful information in it. So if you are interested in getting that book, I got mine from Amazon, you can get yours there too. But that's the list that he includes in his book. And he goes on to include 10 ways to untwist your thinking. And these are a little bit, uh, I don't know how you wanna say it, clinical? So I'm gonna try to make them a little bit more accessible. So the first one that he says is identify the distortion. And the way I look at that is I write down the things that I think negatively right so if I have some kind of negative self-talk going on I will write down that bullet point and then I will begin to think through like well what what is something else that I would want to believe right and just writing down the distortion will usually tell me where it's tied to but if it doesn't then I will put down I had this thinking as a relate sh- as it relates to this trigger because I feel like it's really important to know well where did where did this start today and later you can go on and and think about well where did this start in my life but for today I would just write down the negative thought and then I would write down the things that I want to believe about myself that are a little bit more positive a little more realistic and then I ask myself about the trigger I asked myself about the trigger because I want to know what kinds of circumstances bring these thought processes to to the front, right? And then I want to do what he says, which is examine the evidence. So instead of assuming that my negative thought is accurate, I want to actually examine the evidence of what's going on. For me, that can be situational but that can also be with a person because a lot of times with my negative thoughts i put all of the blame just like the cognitive distortion was talking about personalization and blame i tend to only see myself in the set of circumstances not at all seeing what else is going on i become very narrow that's another type called mental filtering so what examining the evidence does is it opens it up so that i'm actually getting a more a clearer if you will picture of the set of circumstances or the relationship and then the third one is the double standard method and that is that instead instead of putting myself down with a harsh and condemning way i talk to myself in a more compassionate way the way i would talk to a friend i have this statement in my family that it's built on a bible verse that says um, love your neighbor as yourself. And I used to say for many years that if I love my neighbors like I love myself, I would have no neighbors. And that was because my self-criticism was completely absent of any compassion, of recognition that, you know, I may have done that thing or thought that thing because of a storyline in my life. And that I would need, just like somebody else might need my compassion if they said something Really terrible about themselves that I would need that as well and so I've started to think about the fact that a lot of these things I have no problem giving to another person right I can I can give compassion I can be curious about another person I can have confidence in the another another person and yet I withhold all of that for myself So this is really about saying, okay, when I'm harsh and condemning, I'm also going to balance it out with compassion for myself, recognizing that I'm in process, that I'm never just one thing, right? And so then that leads into thinking in shades of gray, which can sound kind of boring, but basically the concept goes that instead of thinking, I'm a failure, you can actually say, okay, there's a situation in my life in which I felt like a failure. I always tell people, and this kind of came from internal family systems therapy, but I always say to people, speak in parts rather than holes, because you can say there is a part of me that feels X, Y, Z. Not all of you has to feel that way, but there's a part of you. And when we begin to acknowledge that it's just a part, then it seems so much more manageable than if it was all of us. So in, so it leaves room for successes in other places rather than I'm throwing out the baby with the bathwater here and saying, oh, everything in my life just sucks. I suck and everything I try to do sucks and I'm complete failure. So we can speak for a part of us that feels that way, but still recognizing that, But there are other places in which I'm doing really well in life, right? So thinking in shades of gray allows you to do that. The sixth one is kind of funny, but I do this all the time. It's called the survey method. And this is like me checking with other people to find out if what I'm feeling, like my thoughts, my attitudes are actually based in reality. And sometimes I do this un- in an unhealthy way. Meaning that if, and, and this is, hmm, this, I hopefully this is something that I'm growing out of, but a lot of times in the past, there was a part of me, see how I said a part of me? There was a part of me that when I was in a situation in which somebody hurt my feelings or said something that I thought was weird or obnoxious, I would, I would, do the survey method to see if anybody else experienced that same thing. And I'm sure you guys do this too. This is, I don't think this is particular to me, but a lot of times I'd be like, that's crazy, right? Like they're so weird. Did you see what they did? Well, that's, that n- isn't necessarily the most mature way to take a survey method. But when it comes to us and finding out if our thoughts and attitudes are realistic We're talking about surveying for the sake of removing negative thought patterns related to ourselves, not related to somebody else. In other words, is it valid for me to be feeling this? Does this make sense to someone else that I could get to this thought process? And hopefully when you're doing the survey method, you're doing it with people that love you, and have your best interest at heart I don't want to go survey the person who has negative feelings towards me right we want to ask the people closest to us who have our best interest in mind so that's the survey method the seventh one is called defining the terms and it's when you label yourself as something maybe inferior loser stupid to ask well what is the actual definition of that word And hopefully by defining the word you're actually making yourself feel better well I don't know I'm not gonna lie to you I don't know how successful this is for some people this might be their their natural go-to for me I feel like when I label myself what I want to do is I want to get curious about how I define that in other words Maybe Webster's Dictionary has a completely different definition, but I have a particular definition based on my story. And so I want to get curious about what is happening in my life that matches the description of that label, because that will tell me what I need to work on. Whereas if I just look it up in Webster's Dictionary, I'm not going to find out what I need to personally work on to change the cognitive distortion. I want to know, well, how do I define that word and where even that definition came from, right? So defining for me is actually about unpacking the term for my own personal self. So number eight is the somatic method, and that's simply substituting language that's less colorful or emotionally charged. So this method, instead of saying I should have, which feels very emotionally in charge, it's... You might say, I could have, or it would have been better if I had done X, Y, Z, but it's just taking the charge away from it. So you're not shaming yourself as if you've done something completely wrong, right? And, and instead of making it so intense, because I mean, I don't know about you, but when I do something, I don't typically go, well, I wish I had done it differently, right I instead say what's wrong with you why didn't you do XYZ so this is about actually softening what it is you say to yourself and I use this when I catch myself being harsh and the only way I get really good at catching myself when I'm harsh is by watching the nonverbals of the person that's receiving my comment or even paying attention to their rebuttal to my comment Because if they're telling me that what I just said about myself isn't accurate, then I have to go back and try to figure out the accuracy, right? I had this girl that I knew at church and she was, uh, she was going to get her doctorate in philosophy. And I'll never forget, she said to me, words really matter and i want to be really careful in the words that i choose to make sure that they communicate exactly what it is i want to say and i thought to myself huh i i don't know that i've ever thought to do that that's interesting but it was such a shaping remark on her part because it really made me begin to ask myself the question is this the right word now i'm not going to lie to you i don't always get the right word in fact I probably, my percentage on this is probably low, but it did make me take pause to say what I say to myself matters. And if I'm going to begin to want to change my negative thinking patterns, then I have to be willing to look at the words that actually I said to see the harshness and to see if I can make it less harsh. And typically the way to do that is to do what the double standard method said, which is show yourself compassion. I'm going to add, get curious about why you pick such strong statements about yourself. Okay. So that's a, that's a way to kind of de-intensify your negative thought patterns. Number 9 reattribution. And this is instead of automatically assuming that you're bad and blaming yourself for the entire problem, think about the many factors that may have contributed to it. I have to do this one all the time because personalization and blame is probably one of my go-tos because that gives me a little bit of sense of power and control over a set of circumstances. And I'm not, big, I'm not a big fan on being a victim I worked my whole life to say, I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to be a choice maker in my life and I'm going to accept the consequences of my choices. But in that I can automatically work from, I'm blaming myself for the entirety of the problem. So this allows for me to, to open up the storyline to what all of what happened, not just what I perceived happened. Right, Because otherwise, what ends up happening is I use all my energy to blame myself and feel guilty instead of being able to have a balanced view of the problem and how I contributed and perhaps how the other person contributed or how the circumstances contributed. That has that a, been a big way in which I have managed what I think is the swiftness of my negative thinking my mind can race through an interaction that i think oh my gosh i made a terrible mistake i shouldn't have said xyz whatever and by doing this it slows it down so i remember the whole story not just the story part that involved what i regretted doing okay the final one is cost and benefit analysis and this is listing the advantages and disadvantages of the feeling, a negative thought or a pattern of behavior. In other words, what do I get from this? I talk about this a lot with people in therapy. Well, I'll say, okay, while this may be intolerably, intolerably, why can't I say this word? Intolerable to you. There, you keep doing this. So that means there's something worse than this. Now, it might be that the positive is actually worse than the negative because that may feel like incredibly dangerous or put you in a very vulnerable situation. Whereas if you beat yourself up before, at least that way you're in control, right? I've already said the negative thing about myself. So I don't have to be shocked or vulnerable to you potentially saying it. So... By listing out the advantages and the disadvantages of a feeling, it allows us to see how we're protecting ourselves in the feeling. And that is a huge way to begin to, to tackle negative feelings because what we think is, oh, I'm going to pull this sucker out by the roots. But the reality is, you know, we we may actually not want to give up a negative thought pattern because the positive thought pattern is really scary and so these are the 10 different ways that we can attack our cognitive distortions but i want to say this in all of them what they require is slowing down and i don't know how you are but i have a really hard time of slowing down and i'm going to talk to you on the next episode about living with intention because intention is a way to begin to slow us down. And it, it becomes the framework for how to pay attention to our thinking and what stands in the way of the intention that we've created for ourselves. So I look forward to ha- having you come back to the next episode. I want you to have a great week and just pay attention to these patterns. But show yourself compassion. Give yourself permission to make mistakes and always turn around and say, hey, I made this mistake, but I want to do better. And start, start over again. Give yourself the fresh start to do what you intended to do. So I leave you with that, and I hope you have a great week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Renewal Session Podcast. Make sure to head on over to iTunes and rate and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. New episodes are dropping every Thursday, and I can't wait for you to tune in to next time. Until then, live your best life.